0: Major funding for Telehel is provided by Dave's Archives. At Dave's Archives, they transfer, archive, and preserve classic commercials from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and share them with you, the YouTube going public. They even have original shows such as Friday Night Live, which pops up. Guess when? Everything about Dave's Archives can be found on their YouTube page. Just search Dave's Archives. By RetroCirc on YouTube. Home to the off-air extra, off-air memories, tele-mimes featuring the off-duty mime players, and of course, old compilations of commercials from the 80s to the 2000s. Check them out by searching Retro Cirque with a Q at the end on YouTube. And don't forget to check all of their socials as well. And by the continued financial support of our patrons at patreon.com slash including Mr. Cheeseball, Robert Marquez, Rick Kalacki Jr., and Neil Weinstein. Thank you. Before we start, we're going to do something that we've never done before on this show, partly because today is going to be one of our more densely layered subjects, and the last thing I want is yet another ghostwriter incident. Anybody who grew up watching TV from the 70s to the 90s may be familiar with something that used to air on the CBS network, something called Read More About It. In light of today's subject, as well as the overriding fear that I never want to repeat what happened in episode 53 ever again, I think it's only fair that we direct you to some of the many people out there whose articles, podcasts, and other kernels of research helped make this episode possible. And feel free to check them out after you're done listening to us. Music, please. Scrappy-Doo and how he both saved, ruined, and became the pawn of a cartoon franchise. Wikipedia recommends these links. Scrappy Days, The Birth of Scrappy-Doo and What I Had to Do With It by Mark Evanier via NewsFromMe.com, A podcast named Scooby-Doo at scoobydoocast.com. A profile on Joe Ruby and Ken Spears at scoobyaddicts.com. And also the book... My Life in Tunes, From Flatbush to Bedrock in Under a Century, by Joseph Barbera. These and many other pieces of information are waiting for you at your local internet place. Visit them. They'll be happy to help you read more about it. And now that we got that out of our way, enjoy the show and my apologies in advance. Since the beginning of time, mankind has attempted to seek out the answers to life's greatest mysteries. And as the years have turned into decades, centuries, and millennia, new evidence is introduced that simply raises further questions to these already existing mysteries. Was Stonehenge meant to be a shrine to astrology Or did the 11th century construction workers quit over a pay dispute? Do aliens really exist among us? Or are they simply fictional elements that are meant to give the History Channel non-pawn stars related programming? Did Amelia Earhart really disappear on her last flight Or was she one of the first people in modern times who knew what going off the grid really meant? Answers to these and many other mysteries of life have attempted to be answered in the clearest and most concise of ways. But in the midst of life's greatest mysteries, another one of them, has seen a particular case of bafflement so profound that simply asking it could drive a person to the brink of madness. This time, the question being, how and why did a seemingly innocent yet annoying TV character become the bane of viewers' existence?
1: You did it, Uncle Scooby. You got the star creature right where we want him. Ruff! ruff. And double the sun too bright for you, Uncle Scooby. Here, hey! Get a horn, mule. And now, whether you like it or not, this is Teller
0: In order to properly neuter this puppy, we must go back to the development year of 1968. Lucky for me, I have a time machine on hand. In a time when violence was escalating both on TV and in the real world, various parental watchdog groups began complaining to the major TV networks that there was far too much of that kind of sensationalism on the air, especially when it came to kids' cartoons. One of the top TV executives of the day decided to take up the challenge of these activist groups by greenlighting TV shows for his network's Saturday morning schedule that would be appealing to audiences of all ages. He would do this by commissioning animation studio Hanna-Barbera to bring a simple idea to life. A group of teenagers and a pet that one of them owned would travel from town to town to solve mysteries. Thanks to character designs from animators Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, The show eventually came to life for that network's 1969 TV season. The network was CBS. The man who greenlit it was our patron saint, Fred Silverman. And the show that went on the air remains on the air in one way, shape, or form to this very day. It's practically impossible to think of a time when Scooby-Doo didn't exist either on TV, in the movies, or a combination of the two. But when the show premiered in 1969, it was an instant hit that not only appealed to kids, but kept those who complained about violence in cartoons at bay. And for the franchise's first seven years, four of them being first run, it would not have been Saturday morning without Scooby, Shaggy, Daphne, Velma, and Fred encountering all things supernatural, only to find out that it was some local bum pulling the strings behind the scenes that they inevitably capture and would have gotten away with it were it not for those meddling kids. The show proved to be so popular that in 1972, the series expanded into a series of 60-minute shows called The New Scooby-Doo Movies, and featured the voices of hip and trendy guest stars of that era that a Saturday morning TV budget could afford. People like Sandy Duncan, John Astin as Gomez Adams, Phyllis Diller, Don Knotts, and yes, even the Harlem Globetrotters.
1: It's Shag and Scooby! What are you doing here? They're trying to get into the house!
0: We're trying to get out!
1: And the sooner the better!
0: All good things eventually come to an end, or in this case, have three acts. After a few years of reruns, the first act of Scooby-Doo's lifespan came to a midpoint on CBS in 1976, but it wouldn't be gone for long. By that point, the show's original greenlighter, Fred Silverman, had moved from the head of CBS's entertainment division to ABC's, where one quick phone call later, he was able to convince Hanna-Barbera to switch networks. Which they did, just in time for a series of major retoolings for the show. Sure, there were still mysteries to be solved, but now Scooby and the gang were joined by a new hanna Barbarian. Introducing... Dino-Mutt. Stronger than a train... So, so brain.
1: Uh,
0: you talking about me, Who the network wanted to pair up with Scooby for an hour-long block, and they did. Right up until 1977, when the show expanded even further. Now, a two-hour block of programming featuring even newer faces on the Hanna-Barbera landscape. This time around, Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels.
1: Captain Caveman!
0: And then, by 1978, pretty much every Hanna-Barbera character known to existence would all team up for the animated clusterfuck simply known as the Laugh-Olympics. Hilarity! This is it, sports fans! Participants even! Television's greatest array of stars! Laugh Olympics! Presents the round-the-world triple-team competition between the Yogi yahooies the Scooby-Doobies, and the Really Rotten's. The players are on the field, in the stadium even. So let's get on with it! In the midst of all these changes, up to and including Silverman's departure at ABC for NBC, the new powers that be of the network decided to bring Scooby back to its basic form, solving mysteries and have perps tell them that they're all a bunch of meddling kids. But by 1979, the damage had been done. Ratings for the show had taken a dive, and it seemed as though Scooby was about to be put to sleep. Humanely, of course, but I digress. With all of that in mind, we must now ask ourselves, how long can a successful TV show last before it runs itself into the ground? In the right conditions, seemingly forever. Disregarding late night talk shows or public affairs programming, a series can theoretically go on forever if certain elements are added to the show in an effort to keep people tuned in, but added in such a way that the addition is a welcome one without jumping the shark too far. These would include elements such as recasting a character with a different actor, doing an episode on location, altering an existing character's appearance dramatically even though they're still the same person, characters getting in bed after years of will they or won't they, getting married, getting pregnant, killing somebody off, having a musical episode, a live episode, a very special episode, or having a very special guest star on an episode. But most of those examples are really short-term solutions that a TV show would only trot out for sweeps periods. The biggest long-term tactic that TV shows seem to rely on more often than not is that of simply introducing a new character to the show, and treating them as though they've been a part of the show's mythology since day one, even though they're pretty much being added in as a designated hitter. The shows that have been on TV the longest could credit this tactic for their respective longevities. Just ask Matt Greening, Seth MacFarlane, Shonda Rhimes, and Dick Wolf. So naturally, what would Scooby-Doo do to keep itself on the air? What we need is a new character, one that today's kids can relate to. We're talking the original dog from hell. You mean Cerberus? the idea of which may have already been placed on the back burner when the original Scooby show was first developed. The idea of a puppy-sized dog as Mystery Incorporated's sidekick was originally thought up by Joe Ruby and Ken Spears as the persona for Scooby himself. But ultimately, they decided to go with the lovable but cowardly persona instead. It wouldn't be until years later when a collection of creatives, up to and including Joseph Barbera himself, first came up with the show's next sidekick. A pint-sized yet tough-talking puppy who wants to get into the act, so to speak, whenever the mystery crew is overcome with fear characteristics of which bore resemblance to a number of factors, including the chicken hawk from the Foghorn Leghorn cartoons, but also Joe Barbera's real-life childhood, where his own father abandoned him in his youth and he had to be raised by his uncle during his formative years. Between the character development and the season worth of stories to be made with this new character being added to the mysteries, Hanna-Barbera hoped that said new addition would be enough to take Scooby-Doo off of life support.
1: Uncle Scooby? Hi, Hi! Scrappy Doo! Scrappy Doo?
0: From that moment onward, Scrappy Cornelius Doo would be part of the show, and the Mystery Machine would never be the same.
1: Let me at em. Let me at em. Let me at em. Let me at em, Scrappy dappy doo Scooby Scrappy dappy doo
0: And we're going to take a closer look at how this one character from television managed to save, destroy, and ultimately become a laughingstock among cartoon characters whether it deserved it or not
1: Scrappy dappy doo
0: After the break
1: <laughs> Scooby dooby doo Fleas, a nightmare for your dog or cat. Dangerous creatures that make lovable pets suffer. That's why your pet needs the Hearts 2-in-1 Plus collar. The long-lasting collar that kills fleas, ticks, even ticks that spread Rocky Mountain spotted fever. The Hearts 2-in-1 Plus collar ends the nightmare of ticks and fleas. Long-lasting protection on your pet, so it protects your family. Put the plus on your pet, the Hearts 2-in-1 Plus this week on Telehell's premium content of the Dam.
2: Looking for romance? It's here with worldwide lovers. Come meet our bachelors. I'm Raj, I'm a Bollywood producer. I'm looking for the most delicious thing on the planet, like Kardashian hot. I would give that dog a bone. Yes, I was in a milking contest and I won it. Huh, I like snooking. Yes. Your waiting room's like a freak show. Are we all in the same category?
1: The only way to listen to Telehell's premium content
0: of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash telehellpodcast. For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash telehellpodcast. And now, back to this
1: week's torture.
0: Okay, bear with us because we're going to do things a little differently this time. Yes, we're still going to watch TV, and we are going to burn it like we always do. But because this is the first time ever when we take a look at a TV character's timeline instead of just a TV show, we need to establish some special rules. This will be a split between the critique of a character and the character's overall evolution over the... Satan, help me. 40 plus years that the character has managed to exist, tracing the lifespan of the character based on the voice actors who portrayed him in various projects. According to the Wikipedia entry on the character, Scrappy-Doo has been portrayed by seven different voice actors since his debut in 1979. But for brevity's sake, we're only going to talk about his appearances in canonical form. No one-off or cameo appearances will be listed, except for several later on, which, unfortunately, we won't be able to avoid. After we go through our evolutionary ladder, we'll then play Scrappy in the Nine Circles like we always do. But in the meantime, our first stop on the timeline is September 22nd, 1979. At a time in the morning when most adults were still asleep, the youth of America first tuned in to see the newest addition to the Mystery Machine in an episode called The Scarab Lives. We're not going to bore you with the plot details of this, or any of the other episodes we'll be featuring here, because... 99% of the time, they all pretty much follow that same formula of the gang encountering all things supernatural, only to find out it was some guy pulling strings behind the scenes, and he would've gotten away with it were it not for those meddling kids. To reiterate, this is an evolutionary study of the character over time. It just seems logical to start at the beginning. At this point in time, Scrappy needs a voice, and a number of viable candidates are in the running. Durable legends in the voiceover world, such as Dawes Butler, Paul Winchell, Howard Morris, even Frank Welker and Mel Blanc were considered for the role. But ultimately, Scrappy is voiced by a veteran of voiceovers M. Hanna-Barbera catalog, Lenny Weinrib. You may remember him from such shows as Inch High Private Eye, Hong Kong Fooey! And also, those interstitials they used to air on ABC to educate the youth of the 70s. Hi there! Time for a timer, your roving reporter! You know what we build here? You! Not out of wood or metal, but out of food! Yep, that was him. His approach to Scrappy-Doo mirrored a lot of kids' first impressions of the character when they saw it for the first time that day. Wild-eyed, raring to go, and looking for a fight. Here now are some of the highlights from that first episode. Boy,
1: would I like to meet up with him? He's my kind of hero. The blue scarab is really something, all right, Scrappy. Oh boy, a real blue scallop. Oh, it must be a publicity stunt, Scrappy. Yeah? Well, we'll see about that. Come on, Uncle Scooby. You and me are gonna meet the blue scallop. Y'all gonna meet him, are we, Uncle Scooby? No. Yeah. Oh. Scarab's next crime is a bank heist. <laughs> Come on, Shaggy. Be brave like me and my Uncle Scooby. We're gonna find that blue Scarab and splatter him with a capital SPLAT.
0: Okay now, Scrappy. We want you to stay here for your own safety.
1: Ah, uh, but uh, but don't you need me to... Don't
0: move. Got it?
1: Sure, Uncle Scooby. Don't move. I got it. Uh, like, we'll be right back. I hope. Huh? <gasps> Look! Scrappy! I'm not moving! I'm not moving!
0: Scrappy! Needless to say, the addition of Scrappy that year was the boost that the show needed, especially to viewers who had not yet reached double-digit age. Young kids seemed to like him because who doesn't like a puppy, and slightly older kids seemed to like him because he was the complete and total opposite of Scooby, an independent small fry willing to take on a challenge. So not only would there be a next season of Scooby-Doo, but there would also be a next season with Scrappy in it. Our second stop in the timeline is November 8, 1980. Only this time, a few more changes were made to the show, the biggest of which was a phasing out of the Scooby gang. Gone were Daphne, Velma, and Fred, leaving just Scooby, Shaggy, and Scrappy to fend for themselves in less mystery stories but more comedy and slapstick-based ones. Another change was another character that shared billing with the diminished Scooby gang to fill out the hour of programming that ABC had scheduled. Show of hands, how many of you remember Richie Rich?
1: How rich can you get? you never gonna know till you've met. This young boy Richie Rich is his name. He's rich.
0: Well, don't worry, because he will not be relevant to the subject. Though, damn if Scrappy didn't try to steal the spotlight. The
1: Richie Rich Scooby Doo Show!
2: It's Scrappy too!
0: All the while, another major change to the show, as Lenny Weinrib was out due to a complicated pay dispute. Instead, Scrappy would be voiced by another legend.
2: In many cases, they're much younger children who don't understand that there are real people behind the character voices. And so, usually, they're kind of excited to to learn that that's how the magic comes about do i get a scooby start we'll look for one after we're off the camera here
0: uh okay <laughs> scooby dooby doo a veteran of hanna-barbera since 1957 the late great don messick has practically voiced everyone and everything that could shape a saturday morning Papa smurf bam bam muttley astro booboo dr benton quest And yes, that even includes Scooby-Doo himself. In fact, Messick was actually considered the standby choice to play Scrappy before Lenny Weinrib was selected. But for whatever reason, the producers didn't think that he was the right voice for the character, a sentiment that ultimately had to be swallowed once Weinrib left after the 1979-1980 season. Based on what we've heard so far, Scrappy's persona very much borrows elements from a number of New York-centric characteristics. A dash of Bugs Bunny and the Chicken Hawk here, a pinch of the Bowery boys there, and ice the cake with the remaining five boroughs everywhere else. A lot of that can also be attributed to Wine Rib's roots in the Bronx. Messick, on the other hand, hailed from Buffalo, New York, further upstate, and certainly a different sound in terms of dialects. Would it be possible for him to pick up where Wine Rib left off?
2: I'll be back in ten minutes, fellas. I'm gonna take a dip in the pool. You're right. Whoops! <laughs> <on. laughs> <laughs> Uncle Scooby, Shaggy. Oh no, I must have dozed off for an hour. Uncle Scooby, Shaggy, yoo hoo, I fell asleep. Gooby,
1: gooby, goo.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, Uncle Scooby. Shaggy, this is all my fault. But don't worry, I'll take good care of you till you grow up. Guys, Shaggy, we better find a way to snap him out of it. Spiderweb web shampoo, uh, snake oil aftershave, rat's tail talcum powder, Grandma Wolfbane's hair conditioner. It's worth a try. Okay, Uncle Scooby, turn Shaggy back to normal. Yeah. Where am I, Scoob? Is it over? Don't worry, Shaggy. This
1: is the end.
0: With all due respect, Messick did the voice of Scrappy much better than WineRib did. Considering Scrappy was practically a child, Messick's interpretation was naturally more childlike, compared to WineRib's being more of a shrunken New Yorker who's annoyed that he missed the subway. This new childlike approach to voicing the character, in addition to the format adjustment, certainly smoothed out the rough edges that were seen in his first season and few people complained about Scrappy's existence in the world. So much so that the show continued on into the 80s with still another format change. This time, even less of an emphasis on mysteries, and more emphasis on comedy, as September 10th, 1983 brought us the new Scooby and Scrappy show. Scooby- which was then reformatted again under the name The New Scooby-Doo Mysteries in the 1984 season. Oh, and also, note to self, uh, can I request an umbrella lightning strike for TV shows that use The New as part of their title? Alright, thanks for that. just, there's so many of them to sift through down the line, I just want to be prepared. Anyway... The new Scooby was a second attempt to return to the original formula of solving mysteries. So much so that they incrementally brought back Daphne, Fred, and Velma to the show after a four-year absence. But one thing did not change. The fact that Scrappy-Doo was pretty much there for comic relief whenever Scooby and Shaggy couldn't carry the load.
2: Well, guys, we searched everywhere but no Professor Busby. Then why didn't we go hunt down that real-life Viking you talked about? Crazy rumor, Scrappy. Don't worry, Daphne. I'll splat this barbaric boob. Hey, no! Put me down! Daphne, look! Curly, where did all those vikings come from? Now I... I... got it! Good. Hey, what's all this stuff? Diesel fuel. Uh, Gee! What's an office doing down here? And what are Vikings doing with a map of the Atlantic Ocean? Hey, look! An underground waterway with a Viking boat.
1: Why are we going up? We're on top of a submarine. This Viking boat is part of it.
0: It's a disguise. Then on September 7th, 1985, with the show still chugging along and still no sign as to why Scrappy-Doo gets all the hate that he does, still another format change is made to the show, but this time around, probably the most dramatic change that the franchise would ever have. Up to this point in the show's history, just about every episode of Scooby-Doo was self-contained, either in half-hour, 11-minute, or 7-minute episodic stories. But in 1985, for the first time in its history, Scooby's stories would become serialized. Also, up to this point, and even a few times a few seasons earlier, any and all ghosts that the team would face would turn out to be real in their universe instead of frauds and costumes. And perhaps the most jarring change of them all, Shaggy going from his signature green shirt to a red one. This is a warning to all
1: living mortals that whosoever opens this chest of demons will release 13 of the most terrifying ghosts upon the face of the earth.
0: And while Fred and Velma would take a hike once again for the 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo, Scrappy would stick around, along with Daphne. At the same time, two new characters were added to help fill the void, one of whom is a forgivable addition because he became the gang's resident... wizard. You heard me.
1: Only you can return the demons to the chest. Why us? Because you
0: let them out. A wizard is part of the team now, and he was voiced by god damn Vincent Price.
1: <laughs> the 13 Ghosts of Scooby Doo.
0: The other character that would assist the gang as they travel the world to capture the ghost that Scooby accidentally releases onto the world is that of Flim Flam, aptly named due to being a pint-sized con man kid who would help the gang get out of bad situations. You know, in case the wizard failed to do anything. Because why would he fail since he's a friggin' wizard? A Vincent Price wizard! How cool is that? Also, just to make sure that we don't go completely off topic, Scrappy is still Scrappy. Ready to go let me at him so he can splat him with da-da-da-da-da-da! Puppy power! This is where Vincent's telegram says to meet him. To
2: grab a ghostie! I can't wait to splat! Like there's a convention in town, I'll handle this. Da, 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 da. Puppy power! <laughs> All right, everybody, freeze! Okay, Ghosty, I know you're in here somewhere. You can't hide from Scrappy Doo. Excuse me, Monsieur, but you are annoying the guests. Excuse me, Mister guests. And you will have to leave unless you have reservations. I still say there's a ghost around here somewhere.
0: Smell him. <laughs> but altogether, after seven years of television, plus a few more years of made-for-TV and made-for-video movies, what exactly was the problem with scrappy do? After all, he was arguably the reason why the show managed to stay on the air after being on the brink of cancellation in 1979. That and possibly whatever the scheduling and lead-ins were like back in the day. But still, it's hard not to acknowledge that Scrappy's presence annoying and repetitive as it may have been at times, helped to keep the lights on. Developer of the 13 Ghost series and future TV cartoon producer extraordinaire Tom Ruger felt that, quote, it's a lot easier to love Scooby than it is to love Scrappy, but I don't have the problem with Scrappy that I've heard expressed by others. I suspect this is because I wasn't watching Scooby from the beginning, but rather, I came in and started catching up quite a while, a couple of years after Scrappy had made his debut. They've been messing with Scooby's cast for years. All those celebrity cameo Scooby movies. I dislike those things more than I dislike Scrappy. And for what it's worth, at least Scrappy brings some energy to the table. He actually does have a personality, even though many find it obnoxious. I tend to love the characters with whom I work. I can say that I learned to love Scrappy despite all his limitations." End quote. So with that, the questions we ask ourselves now, how can something created to help keep a TV show on the air evoke that much hatred? And why is Scrappy-Doo the poster puppy?
2: We're talking
1: Dune here. Boing, boing, bounce, <laughs>
0: This brings us to the 1990s. By that point, Scooby didn't really go away, having been in a steady stream of reruns both in syndication and on an entire cable network dedicated to the vast Warner Brothers cartoon library up to and including all things Hanna Barbera. Cartoon Network was meant to be a shrine to everybody who resided under the HB banner. In 1999, the Scooby Doo franchise celebrated its 30th anniversary with a 24 hour marathon of classic episodes, all of which culminated with an original short that was a parody of the then-popular out-of-nowhere hit, The Blair Witch Project.
2: Hello, I'm Velma Dinkley, and this is a documentary of one of our mysteries. That's Scooby-Doo, Red Jones, and Daphne Blake. Hey, how you doing? Of course, I want to play myself in the movie version, and that's Norville Rogers. It's shaggy!
1: Like nobody calls me Norville! What's the matter, Norville? (laughs) That's not on tape, is it? (laughs) Something wrong, Norville? Norville, Norville, Norville. Very funny. (laughs) Norville?
0: <laughs> the parody, though largely non-canonical, was seen as more of a tribute to the show's 30 years, which was also an over note recreation of Blair Witch in less than half of its time, complete with shaky cameras and largely improvised lines. And all was going well in the short until somewhere near the end of it, when this sequence took place.
1: Scooby-Doo, is that you?
0: Scrappy Doo, Doo, now voiced by modern-day Hanna-Barbarian Scott Innes, is almost instantly dismissed by the Scooby gang, even though his let-me-Adam spirit managed to get the gang out of trouble in the past, so much so that his status in the short is pretty much relegated to, essentially, an extended punchline.
1: Hiya, gang! Looks like there's a mystery to be solved! Hi, Scrappy!
0: For the most part, that scene was regarded as nothing more than a throwaway, yet uncharacteristically harsh joke against Scrappy. But few people didn't really think much of it. Then, about two years later... The hatred of Scrappy was further cemented when Cartoon Network, fresh off the success of having its own slate of original programming, started putting out promos that featured you know who at the center of them, and callously lamenting how said original programs would not have existed were it not for him paving the way first. The bitterness, though clearly played up for laughs, is palpable. Oh, do you work here? Um
1: Scrappy! Yeah, for a while now! I've been busting my hump at this network for years! I mean, who do you think's been keeping the cartoon mystery fresh all this time? But do I get the same treatment as them? Not even close. Can I help you? Oh, easy there, Scooby. My name is Scrappy, and I've been here longer than all of you. Longer than you, 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 and you. Oh, mama. The problem as I see it is too many cartoon cartoons. They're the kings and queens of this network, and they know it. I put in the hours, the late nights. Where's my key to the castle? You are here today, Scrappy? You are a genius! How'd you figure that out?
0: (laughs) Cartoon Network, the best place for cartoons.
1: Not for me! Not for me, man!
0: But it was just a year after that when Scrappy would return in probably his biggest role and the biggest middle finger that one could give a fictional character who had good intentions to begin with. (laughs) While we have our rules about big-screen adaptations of TV shows, this was one of those subjects that we simply could not avoid. In 2002, a theatrical version of Scooby-Doo would take place, the plot of which could be discussed elsewhere. But let's just say it was a decent enough adaptation that winked at just the right points in the past. But two things wound up happening in this movie that pretty much sealed Scrappy's fate. First, there was this.
1: You don't have the scrote for this job, pally! Ah, oh, listen up, losers. The time has come that you appoint me your unquestioned leader. Either that, or I'm out of here. What's the idea? You can't do this to me. People adore me.
0: And second, there was this.
1: I've absorbed enough energy to... No! To rule the world with my all-powerful army! Yes. Oh. And I've brought you here, puny, pathetic, mystery yink! Ah, to witness my moment of triumph!
0: They abandon Scrappy in the desert, and then they turn him into the bad guy. For the record, the movie wound up making $275 million at the box office when it was released in 2002. Which, unfortunately, also meant that $275 million worth of moviegoers were suddenly conditioned into thinking, hey, maybe Scrappy was more of a dick than we thought. Why the sudden change in mentality? According to the DVD commentary for the movie, choosing the villain was the problematic part of production, as the makers did not feel comfortable simply giving a role to an anonymous monster and that the ending was in bits and pieces. And that the confinements force them to be creative. While well, one of the co-writers of the movie put it this way: quote, there is a scrappy because he exists in the cartoon, so we have to acknowledge him. End quote. That co-writer's name, by the way? A young, pre-marvel, James
1: Gunn. Ah,
0: Despite previously stating that he felt, quote, kids didn't care, Gunn later admitted with some dismay that younger viewers had reacted poorly to the development, admitting that he had not understood how popular Scrappy was with 5 and 6 year olds, saying, quote, I still think it was funny that Scrappy was the villain, but there are kids out there who are really upset, end quote. The sentiment only ramped up from there, thanks in no small part to continuous chatter online, including chats, forum posts, memes, and even analytical programming. Other podcasts. All of which decided to turn the We Hate Scrappy bandwagon into a full-on movement. And just like that, the 180 of turning Scrappy from a franchise-saving TV character to one of the animation world's biggest pariahs was well into motion. Suddenly, it became okay to hate Scrappy-Doo, not unlike Meg Griffin from Family Guy. From that point forward, any future adaptations that even mention Scrappy, sometimes without even mentioning his name at all, would pretty much be reduced to a he who shall not be named level of animosity. Don't believe me? Puppy!
2: Puppy! (laughs) Wow, I haven't seen.
0: Look away, Daphne. We all promised each other that we would never speak of him. Not ever. Well, I guess the gang's all here. Except Scrappy.
2: What's a
0: Scrappy? With all of these pieces in place, one big question remains unanswered. If Scrappy-Doo is getting and continues to get all of this hate, warranted or otherwise, what was the point of having him be created in the first place? That answer might be best explained in the nine circles. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. According to an interview that show story editor Dwayne Poole gave on a podcast named Scooby-Doo, quote, Scrappy solved a lot of problems. Before, you had to get Shaggy and Scooby into dangerous situations, and there was no real easy way to get them there. With Scrappy, he picked them up and carried them there. He just charged in. He was just such the antithesis of what Scooby and Shaggy were. The dynamic was great fun to play, end quote. Scrappy-Doo will always be one of the great enigmas of television. A character that you either love, hate, love to hate, or hate to love, and on rare occasions somehow all of them at the same time. In the grand scheme of things, however, there's really two scrappies to consider. The one that you see on TV, and the overall core concept of the character, both of them serving a similar purpose, to keep the mothership of Scooby-Doo on the air, which, for better or worse, did succeed in doing so even though the addition of any new character on any given TV show, if in the wrong circumstances, could be seen as heresy to a TV show's overall vision and mission statement. At the same time, not only pulling in a ratings rebound for ABC, but a rejuvenated cash cow for both them and for Hanna-Barbera, resulting in a rare, good kind of greed for both parties. But if you want my Satan's honest opinion, I think Scrappy-Doo has gotten a bum rap for far too long. Yes, he is an annoying character that got shoehorned into a durable franchise, but the fact that he is often credited as the reason why he helped keep Scooby on the air into the 80s, and even to this day, has to give pause to the notion that the character had to have done something right, in spite of delayed wrath from the next generation of audiences almost a decade after he last appeared in a Scooby TV show, not counting the movie a kind of rap that, with the exception of those throwaway jokes that you just heard, resulted in the character's whereabouts being in a continuous state of limbo. Until such a time comes along when the character is eventually welcomed back into the fold of future Scooby-Doo made-for-TV or home media movies with open arms and puppy power. As hard as it is to believe... Scrappy Doo earns 4 out of 9 circles of telehell. In the midst of all the analysis, however, one question still remains. Even with all the hate that he's gotten in recent years, can Scrappy Doo make a comeback?
1: Scooby Doo, where are you?
0: Based on the rhetoric being presented right now in the very place where he was maligned years earlier, one could only hope in looking up some of the clips that we used to help explain Scrappy, one particular comment stood out the most in favor of easing up on all the Scrappy hate. On the clip of Flimflam Flam returning to find the 13th ghost and Velma casually backhanding Scrappy like this, What's a Scrappy? A user simply named, and my apologies if I screw up the pronunciation, Theroa put things this way, quote, there's a lot of fighting over how Scrappy was treated over the years, and the greatest crime is the producers using the character as a punching bag to rile up the fan base. Whether you love Scrappy or hate him, he was an integral part of keeping Scooby-Doo on the air during periods when the shows faced threats of cancellation. By turning him into a villain, or saying that he is never to be spoken of, or having various characters flat out forget that he existed, the producers did a disservice to the showrunners who came before. In the case of Scooby-Doo and the the Curse of the Thirteenth Ghost, a 2019 made-for-video movie, there was no ignoring Scrappy's absence. But they should have just said that he was off on an adventure somewhere else instead of having Fred and Velma forget he existed. Disrespecting the characters so blatantly was disrespecting the show's history." End quote. More often than not, every family has their own black sheep. Someone who sticks out either because they march to the beat of their own drum, or because they're seen as a disappointment to the family despite loving them unconditionally, no matter what they do. Scrappy-Doo's status as the black sheep of Mystery Incorporated has long passed its own sell-by date. Sure, people on the internet can be cynical, present company included, but at the end of the day, some things out there are far more important to criticize than a fictional cartoon puppy that never meant to cause any harm in the first place, other than letting him at it with a couple splats here and there. Long story short, he's been in the doghouse for far too long. Let Scrappy back in, and give him a Scooby snack. Let me
1: him! Let me him! Let me him! Let me at him! Let me at him. Let me at him.
0: But until that time comes, the seemingly random hatred of a character that saved a franchise will just have to continue to be one of Life's Great Mysteries.
1: Zoinks!
0: Next time on Telehell, a couple textbook examples of the old phrase, What the hell were you thinking?
1: I'll be back here. I will. I'll
0: see you in six months. Have a good life. Until then... If it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976. And all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Now that everybody is getting mysterious chemicals injected into their arms, that can only mean one thing. It's almost safe to socialize with people again. So why not get a head start on that and follow us on our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Tele-Hell Podcast. By the way, shows like these aren't cheap. Do what you can and can what you do at Patreon.com slash Podcast.